What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another week of DQ with Damani. I'm your host, Damani Mater. Without further ado, let's get straight into it. I think I'd like to call this the uh, bubble edition, bubble version, or a series of bubble weeks because I have been locked down. I dropped the episode that was supposed to come out the week of my birthday a little late that literally dropped on Kyrie's birthday. I had bronchitis. Then I went from bronchitis to sinus infection. And now this sinus infection has just like completely just violated my entire respiratory system, my whole body even. I went I, I I've just been having back to back just ridiculous symptoms like I was sweating and then I ended up going from sweating to having chills like I was literally shaking in the shower like I had the hot water on at max and I'm shaking like I'm Iceman from X-Men it was ridiculous I I don't know what's going on I I've been dieting properly working out taking care of everything I need to with my body as best I can taking all the supplements vitamins etc and I still ended up getting sick with this so I, I I don't know the doctors, they don't even know if it's bacterial or viral, so I don't have any answers other than antibiotics at this point, antibiotics and sleep. I haven't been to class in a while, so I'm just going through it right now, but that doesn't stop me from talking boxing with you guys, especially since we have some very important fights coming up within the next couple of weeks. Even the next couple of months, we have some very important fights coming up. So I don't want to slack on you guys. I still want to continue to get you guys up to speed on the best news boxing has to offer. That is the tagline of this show, and I will continue to adhere to that till the wheels fall off. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get into it. So first, really, I'm kind of shocked that things fell out between Stephen Fulton and Naoya Inoue. Um... Just yesterday, the internet was in a rage over the fact that Inoue had to pull out from the fight due to injury. The fight was scheduled to happen in Japan, and a lot of people were excited and also disappointed since there would be a massive time zone difference, and a lot of people would have to sacrifice sleep to be able to watch it. But nonetheless, I knew I was going to be be able to see it. I watched Brandon Glanton fight over in Dubai a while ago there's no problem really if you if you really love the sport you'll sacrifice those hours it's not that serious but nonetheless Noah had to pull out um I'm not sure what specifically he hurt I haven't heard much other than they're attempting to reschedule it Stephen Fulton is reassuring the entire boxing world that there will be a new date for the fight so I am hopeful that in the meantime, he continues training. He himself stays in good health, does not injure himself during camp. And we can see these two get it on. I really do want to see Stephen Fulton back in the ring soon because undisputed status is knocking on the door for him. There are people who believe that Inoue is going to be able to just walk through him, but I thoroughly disagree. I don't think that Inoue possesses the amount of skill to be able to fully just clean out Fulton across 12 rounds or even knock him out. I think it'll be an even matchup. They'll go back and forth across the stretch and it'll be a points win or a points loss for either man. So 
it's a 50-50 fight. I don't like the fact that people are saying that Inoue, that they're really just trying to make Inoue out to be this Superman. And yes, he's the monster. I believe Inoue is a pound-for-pound pound fighter. Top top five. For a while, I had him pound-for-pound pound number one. So I, I don't disagree with the fact that Inoue is a skilled, dangerous, knockout, precision fighter. It's really just the fact that people are trying to make it seem like he's invincible, like he can't get touched. Fulton, he has the ability the ring generalship to be able to give Inoue some problems. So really the fact that people are just counting Fulton out on this one is just ridiculous. I've seen guys, even in the Boxing Voice Discord, really, they've just been going on and on about how Inoue is going to dog walk him. He's going to embarrass him. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. If you really did feel that way, put your money where your mouth is. But a lot of these guys are too scared to do it. This weekend, Chris Colbert, oh, I just saw a picture of him courtside at a ball game in the city with Tracy Morgan. This man was iced out next to Tracy Morgan, complete with a feral pendant piece. Now, he takes on El Rayo, who just suffered a shocking knockout loss on a PBC card a couple of months back. And I don't really think that this is a bad matchup for either man. Both of them are coming off of crazy losses. They need to get back into the win column. This is also really a contender type of matchup. Not quite putting themselves into the top five of the weight class. More so just ironing out who's who in the division. Making sure that their name is just right on that dotted line just so that they don't get relegated for all my football fans out there it really seems like Chris Colbert is going to be the victor of the two I personally believe that he will just because El Rayo he does he has a very bad habit of leaving his chin in the air which is exactly how he got beat up the last time he was out and the Benavidez camp they focused more on offense with him than defense. They didn't really mold El Rayo to be a defensive counterpuncher. They really wanted him to continue walking forward. They really emphasized the fact that he needs to be an offensive threat. But th at the same time, they didn't give him the proper defensive skills to be comfortable in the fact that he is an offensive threat. So, Naturally, Chris Colbert, I think he's going to be able to take advantage of that. Somebody like El Rayo, that's going to be food for Chris Colbert. But at the same time, I do have to say that Chris Colbert has the weakness of dropping his right hand when he digs to the body, which is exactly how he got hurt against Garcia. Now, El Androide, he ended up piecing Colbert up just way too easily. And the right hand giving access to a dangerous fighter like El Rayo, that could spell the end for him. I do want to say that it's important for people to remember, you got to keep your hands up. Going forward, going backwards, moving like across the ring, you always have to keep your hands up. And digging to the body is one of the most dangerous places to dig if you don't have your defense up to par. You will get hurt and hurt bad if you don't have your hands up when you dig. Whether that's your right, right, right hand to the body, left hand to the body, 
even a jab straight to the body. You don't have your hands up, you will get hurt and hurt bad. I promise. A lot of these guys, they make the mistake of seeing highlights where Canelo, he's able to dig and then spin out after his opponent shoots across, things of that nature. But it's really just because Canelo, he's, he has the perfect height and reach to be able to do that. Not every fighter has the exact same di physical dimensions to be able to pull off moves like that. And Chris Colbert, unfortunately, he's just not one of those guys who has that ability. I would like to see him step it up this time. I believe that he will. If you are a betting man, put your money on Chris Colbert this weekend. Jojo Diaz, man. This past weekend, I watched that DAZN card and I was pissed when they heard. They, they, they. I, I don't know what it is with that weekend and the judging. Because like I already mentioned earlier, Brandon Glenton, he also fought. He also got robbed badly after pretty much almost breaking his opponent's jaw. JoJo 2, where did they get 99-91 from? I have no idea what the judges were thinking watching that fight. I scored that fight myself, and I did not have 99-91 for Gesta, bro. Like... There were so many people in comments saying the exact same thing. And I'm sure you guys could tell even from my voice, like the way that I'm saying this, I still sound confused, even though we're into the week already. Like, it's still baffling. Like when I watched that fight and they read off the scorecards, I was screaming. Like, I, I, I'm pretty sure people thought that I was like screaming because... I was getting whooped in a game or something. I have no idea, but other people probably thought I was tripping. Me, in my eyes, those judges were tripping. And we're starting to come to a point in boxing where people are getting robbed left and right, and nobody's really talking about it. I haven't seen enough people come out and say, like, yo, this guy got robbed, that guy got robbed. The last time I've, I've seen something major about a robbery on the scorecards had to be the Jermaine Franklin fight. Since then, nobody really cares about what happens next. And I don't think that that's fair, especially for JoJo, because they reiterated time and time again on the DAZN broadcast that that fight against Hesta, like, it was really supposed to be JoJo's last chance at not becoming a gatekeeper in the weight class. There are people at 135 who are dangerous, and in my personal belief, Jojo was still there, but to all of the guys who create the rankings, all of the guys who basically spin the narrative, they're now starting to say that they believe Jojo Diaz is a gatekeeper. He's the older guy who younger fighters are going to call out, build their name off of, try to get a knockout or a spectacular points decision win off of him, and then just move on to the next level. I completely disagree with that. Against Hesta, he really showed that he could still hang. He didn't look old in there. He still threw bombs. It's just completely disrespectful to cast off somebody like Jojo Diaz, who fought excellently against Devin Haney, gave Devin Haney a challenge, and just fell short. He has he just has fights where he falls short, and I don't see how people are really trying to discredit him at this point in time. It's 2023, and people are really trying to say that Jojo Diaz is going to be a gatekeeper at lightweight. How? 
and when. I don't see that happening, but as long as people continue to put that out into the air, because as we all know, boxing is a very small, small, tight-knit community, it's going to be perpetuated. It's going to ripple throughout the promotions. It's going to ripple throughout the rankings. The rankings will obviously reflect that. And it really just makes me sad that we've reached this point where we could just take a fighter and just toss them in the trash like that. It, it just leaves a really bad taste in my mouth, especially since I watched that fight from beginning to the end and didn't really see Jojo Diaz losing that. It just pisses me off knowing that he got robbed and then beyond that, they're reducing him to a gatekeeper. It just, it doesn't make sense. And I, I just hope that people recognize that they're treating these guys poorly. Like, there's there's no reason that JoJo Diaz should be in this position right now. Regardless of all the things that are going on outside of the ring, because I have heard that he's been having some legal troubles. Beyond that, you have to look at that fight and just be completely objective completely objective let go of all of your feelings for jojo let go of all of your feelings for his opposition all of the people he's fought in the past all of your feelings for golden boy disown etc watch that fight as a fighter if you are a fighter and if you are a fan watch that fight as a fan and score that yourself that man did not lose i'm sorry i i'm not going to accept that for an answer and the fact that the boxing media is is disgusting to me we really need to start doing better. Oh, man. I thought that I was going to be done talking about these guys until the fight happens April 22nd. But it seems like Ryan Garcia is back in the press for, yet again, more excuses. He went on the Nelk Boys podcast and pretty much tried to tell them that Tank and his team are trying to tell him that he can't have food and water for three days out of the week in the contract. That's a lie. That is the biggest pile of crap that I've heard since commission fees. $32,000 commission fees. There is absolutely no way legally that Tank's team put in the contract that he can only eat three days out of the week. Drink water three days days out of the week that's false that is his team limiting him and if that is his team that means that they're trash I've cut weight before I used to cut weight to super middleweight 168 pounds and not once did my coaches because I, I had no nutritionist at the time my coaches not once told me yo no food no water I was just in a sauna suit or I was in the actual sauna just draining myself of water they never told me, hey, don't eat, don't drink. That means that Ryan Garcia's team, irrespective of the fact that he's probably a millionaire by now because I know his family has money too, they're just trash. He needs to hire better people instead of going to the media and crying and complaining and saying, hey, Tank is trying to drain me. Tank is trying to do this. Tank is trying to do that. Tank isn't trying to do anything. It's just the fact that your team has poor practices set out for you and they know that they're trying to make you look as bad as possible so that when you lose, you'll have an excuse to say, oh, man, I was drained. I couldn't do this. It was all tank. No, not even close. And the guys who go on these shows, such as the Boxing Voice, are really just making it worse for the real people standing up like myself and saying, no, 
you guys are continuing this ridiculous story that this man is being slighted by the rehydration clause. Absolutely not. Ryan Garcia is not a 40-year-old man who has almost no testosterone left in his system and can't cut weight properly. He is 24 years old. He's not even 30. He can cut the weight. He's been at 135 pounds his entire career. And the fact that people are saying, oh, man, Ryan can't make the weight is a lie. That's a blatant lie. He started doing catch weights after Javier Fortuna because he was just too lazy. And I, I hate to say that because no fighter is truly lazy deep down. But you have to acknowledge the fact that he's been trying to get over since then. He wants to stay in a position where he has the weight advantage over Tank who's naturally 140 pounds. Tank is a small guy. It's not like he's a huge dude who's going to walk in at super middleweight or give or take light welterweight. He's literally baseline, at least 145 pounds walking around. There's no way that this man is trying to tell people that he's being held hostage in this contract and they're trying to drain him as much as he can no 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 that that that's getting really played out and the fact that people are really buying into that just shows how gullible people are when it comes to this social media era of fighters it bothers me seeing this guy go on tiktok seeing this guy go on instagram youtube and saying all of these things and the fans are really eating it up these guys are like yeah ryan you're so no he's not he's not i promise you if you look properly at how you're supposed to cut weight he would have absolutely zero issue making 135 really the fight's supposed to be at 136 pounds and going into the fight day completely normal it's just the fact that he wants to walk in bloated and have a severe weight advantage over tank who is not going to stand for that even if i was in the same position as tank i would do the same i would put a rehydration clause in because why as a grown man are you refusing to go down to the weight that you've been fighting at for your entire career from 18 to 24, 23 years old, and now saying, oh, man, I want to fight at catch weight? You're just lazy, bro. Face the facts. This weekend, March 25th, David Benavides, El Bandera Roja, the Mexican monster. Takes on Caleb Plant, man. Sweet hands. I was there, present when this man knocked out Anthony Durrell. Spoke to Andre Durrell after the fight. Talked about his brother's loss. Things happen in boxing. You can never really predict whether things will go right or left because really it is a sport that has so many factors going into it. Things can happen in that ring that you just simply can't account for. Caleb Plant is no different. His new trainer, Bretman, he's really been teaching him to sit down on his punches. If you've paid attention from Plant's last fight, no, prior to his last fight, let's say the Canelo fight, maybe even prior to that, the, the Ust... No, 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 no. Further than the Ustategi fight, I'd say. I had to correct myself three times there because Caleb has been on a upward trajectory regarding his style he was really more familiar with the philly shell operating more like mayweather using his jab preferring to 
stay on the outside, but now he's really gotten more comfortable in the pocket. He's sitting more on his power punches, and I'm really proud of him for that. He's really upgraded since people were saying, oh, man, Caleb Plant has no power, this and that. He's decided to take that, use that as fuel, and really apply himself to adapting his style for not just the fans, but for himself to feel more comfortable in the ring and not be in panic situations like he was against Canelo. Because obviously, that man had him up against the ropes, up in the corner, pressuring him. And he wasn't even really throwing flurries as often as many people think. Canelo was actually losing the fight before he knocked out Caleb Plant, uh, contrary to popular belief. This man, like I said, took that, decided to build upon that, now he has a new blueprint moving forward. If you've seen his training footage, he looks really good. Now, David Benavidez, on the other hand, oh, man, I'm I'm, I'm kind of scared for Caleb because Benavidez fights tall. He fights very well forwards, backwards, against the ropes. I, I, I had to watch the Angulo fight back three times to see just how many times Benavidez was on the ropes, and he never looked scared once. Even though he was getting peppered with shots here and there to the body, some landing there on the chin, some grazing off his gloves, he never really looked panicked against the ropes. So the fact that Caleb Plant might want to pressure him, walk forward, deliver some nasty body shots, it's, it doesn't seem like it'll scare David Benavidez, which is really problematic going forward for the fight and the momentum that the, the, the fight's going to take. It may not go back and forth. Caleb Plant might just walk forward, think he's going to catch David Benavidez right in that corner or, better yet, against the ropes, thinking he's got him in a very nice position to land a knockout shot and get countered lethally with an eight-hit combo. I am not questioning the ability of Caleb Plant at all when I say this, but at the same time, you have to recognize just how dangerous David Benavidez is. For example, let's look at Benavidez's fight <laughs> against Porky. Oh, Lord. He whooped him so bad that this man's head was bobbing up and down like a rock'em sock'em robot. He had this man on the floor, I believe, on three separate occasions. I, I couldn't believe that people were really saying, oh, man, he fights so emotional He's he's angry, this and that. Yes, the press conference, yes. But when David Benavidez gets in the ring, he's laughing, he's smiling, especially when he gets hit. When David Benavidez gets hit, it's like a demon activates because he sticks his tongue out. He opens his eyes wide. He steps right to you and he delivers a shot two times as hard with at least double the punches you threw. I know if I was still at super middleweight and I had to fight David Benavidez, man, I, I don't I don't know if we'd be able to formulate a game plan other than just use the jab because inviting David Benavidez into the pocket isn't smart. Staying on the perimeter isn't smart. It, it just doesn't seem like there are many options to take David Benavidez out. Even counterpunching, catch and shoot. You catch and shoot, he'll catch and shoot right back. It seems like his style is really impenetrable, which is really why people like 
Mike Tyson have gone on the record and said that this man is the scariest force at 168 pounds, maybe even 175 whenever he decides to move up in the current four belt era. Right now, he's the interim super middleweight champion. So we do know that the winner of this matchup will be the interim champion. Once again, the winner will be the mandatory for Canelo Alvarez. So regardless of whether or not he decides to go back up and fight Bevo after he takes on John Ryder on May 6th, he will have to acknowledge either Benavidez or Plant for a rematch. There is no doubt in my mind that this man Canelo will do everything he can to ignore these two <laughs> and make sure he gets his shot at Bevol again. Now, whether or not I think that's okay, that's a discussion for another episode on the show. Now, I would just like to address all of the people who are saying that this fight isn't major. I've seen that multiple times. It doesn't make sense how these two are at the top of the division, and this isn't the biggest fight currently at the moment. Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford falling out. Tank, Ryan Garcia, they're not even fighting at lightweight for a belt, so the fight's only as relevant as it is on social media. This fight actually has a belt on the line, has relevant stakes pound for pound, has relevant stakes for the shape of the super middleweight division, maybe even... 160 if these guys decide to work things out and take on Charlo there is no way that you can look at David Benavidez Caleb Plant and say this isn't the biggest fight of the year in my opinion there's absolutely no fight that's going to do better than this at this point in time until Canelo fights at least I don't think that there's going to be a fight that'll do better than this consider the following the Mexican community is completely behind David Benavidez. The black community is completely behind David Benavidez. The white community is completely behind Caleb Plant. So when you say that this fight isn't major, this fight isn't big, there are literal communities of racial background being drawn to this fight because there is a man of color and a white man going to war for supremacy in the super middleweight division. And I hate to make this racial, but it's true. That's how things work in boxing. There's absolutely no way you can look at this fight and say, damn, ain't nothing going on in the super middleweight division. This fight is boring. The cash cow right now is going to step out from this fight and take on Canelo Alvarez. That's all you can really say at the end of the day. Just before we wrap things up for today, news regarding Terrence Crawford. People are saying that uh, the deal with Black Prime wasn't really worthwhile because now he was spotted with folks at Golden Boy, Oscar De La Hoya, Bernard Hopkins, taking a couple pictures, posing with him, smiles, handshakes, waving to the cameras. And people aren't really happy with him. People really want that undisputed fight. But like I said to you guys prior on the show when I spoke about this in its own specific episode, he is chasing the bag. Alexis Rocha, Virgil Ortiz, these guys are contenders and they are young. These guys are beasts. They're not 
people who are fighting cans coming up trying to pad their records. These guys want smoke in the welterweight division. So in my opinion, hey, Terrence Crawford is going where the smoke is. Obviously, Errol Spence, he's talking about fighting Keith Thurman, who he swore he wasn't going to fight. Like I said prior on the show, he swore to the fans on his mother he wasn't going to fight Keith Thurman. Guess what happened when Tim Sue fought Tony Harrison? That nice little graphic showed Errol Spence and Keith Thurman. And now people are saying 154 pounds. It'll fulfill Errol Spence's mandatory. It, it It's really just appalling to me how people would rather take the side of Errol Spence, who is irresponsibly doing what he said he wasn't going to do instead of trying to cross the street and fight Terrence Crawford. It deeply troubles me that we've reached a point in boxing where fans who don't even fight are saying, oh man, he's ducking him. How is Terrence Crawford ducking where he's going where the paper is? PBC's not going to pay him. PBC didn't even want to show him the correct paperwork, giving him access to not just how much he was making, but the entire event budget. How can you say that Terrence Crawford is ducking? That's impossible. Get that out of your head. Fix it. Fix it. Either way, I'm glad Terrence Crawford is going to get his bang for his buck over at Golden Boy. I hope he does knock both <laughs> Alexis Rocha and Virgil Ortiz out. Of course, Virgil has to fight Stan Yonis first for the interim belt. Of course, I believe if Errol vacates or moves up to 154, they will receive the full belt, which will, of course, open the door for Terrence Crawford to fight either man for their full belt, unify, get things wrapped up. Of course, if that's not the scenario that comes to pass, we have to once again wait for the undisputed fight. So, this ends another week of DQ with Damani. I am grateful to be able to bring you guys the best boxing news and analysis that I have to offer to you all. Please continue to support all of your local boxers. Those tickets are cheap. I'm seeing them for $45. There is no excuse for you to go out this coming weekend and support your local boxers. Please do that. These guys need to get paid. Please. This is your host, Damani Mater. God bless and have an amazing week. Stay safe.